This morning, we will primarily be looking at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. Um, in this particular passage, Paul, who is writing to the church of Ephesus, he's um, kind of on lockdown, but he decided to write a letter as an apostle. He wants to make sure the church is doing well, and so he gives instructions um, to the people. And as we get into chapter 4, he really starts to talk about this idea of unity in the church. There's a need for unity within the church, within the body, in particular in, in the environment of um, that particular um, branch of the community of God. And similarly, here there is a need for unity in this room, in this body, to be able to impact Charlottesville and the greater surrounding areas in a way that God has purposed you to do. You need to have great unity. And as we look at verses 17 through 24, we'll find what is it that you need to do individually to help bring the collective unit together or to contribute um, in such a way um, to the to whole um, that will help make things more effective. Um, so we'll d dive into that. We'll look at kind of Paul's synopsis of the old man and the thinking. Um, and I titled um, the sermon... Um, what did I title it? The new operating system or I forgot it. <laughs> A new operating system for living. Um, so I want to um, go with Paul in terms of describing what the old operating system is. Um, how did you receive Christ? And then talk about the new operating system and how it glorifies God. So um, with that being said, let's take a moment to pray. Father in heaven, we are I'm truly grateful for your love as we celebrated communion, um, many songs um, that we've sung to you, Father God. We've come to worship you. And now, Father, I ask that you will use me as a tool to communicate your message, that you open up all of our hearts to receive from you those things that are from you, write and scribe on our hearts. Everything else, I pray, will fall to the wayside. My prayer today, Lord God, is that we will all walk out different than the way we came in because you met us here. Thank you for your presence. Use me now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4. Oh, you know what? I forgot one other thing. Um, when we were in our corporate fast, um, I apologize. I forgot your name, brother. But the, the head of your um, prayer team um, helped to join in with the um, kind of the family of churches that we have that come from Grace Covenant and Chantilly. Our, we have a Sterling campus. We have church out in Denver. We have a church in um, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Um, we all were able to get on the line together and pray during our fast and consecration week. Um, and so you guys were well represented. Maybe some of, some of, more of you joined on on the call and I just didn't know. But I mean, it's really cool to um, help us to grow and remember kind of why God is um, pushing things out from Chantilly in terms of um, seeing the gospel and the, the expression that he's given to us in diversity and, and um, building a church that looks like heaven so that we can win the city that we're in. Um, for you guys to be a part of that and us praying together helps us to remain and have that sense of family, almost like a family reunion, but without the food. <laughs> I mean, you know, we was fasting. You can't eat that way. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4, 17 through 24 reads... So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. 
Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. They are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. One of the reasons why within the title that I forgot, um, I wanted to, the idea of an operating system really seems to jump from the pages to me. Um, There's a way, um, some of you guys have um, Apple phones, some of the more advanced thinkers have an Android phone, um, (laughs) and they're completely different operating systems. They don't, they may do, they may have some of the same functionality, um, but they operate in different ways, right? Um, and that led me to a thought about when I was in college um, in the late 90s, um, I used to sell computers, and Microsoft was kind of ruling the day at the time, so you had all versions of PCs that, that had the Microsoft operating system, and then there were these like big old Apple computers that had like these fancy colors on them that had a completely different operating system. And just because of the functionality, you would tend to get the Microsoft computer because it was able to do more than the other. Um, and then they Something changed in the early 2000s in the promotion. I don't know about the statistics and numbers and things like that, but the promotion that was on TV was this young, hip dude, kind of like myself, and then like a, no, I'm just joking. Um, then you have like an older guy who's kind of like old school, you know, you, you didn't really um, think he was cool and the latest and the smartest. But the thing that they kept hammering home is that if you used a Microsoft system, that you, it was susceptible to viruses and that it would always kind of break down. You always have to get new updates. And it didn't matter if it was Windows 98 or 2000 or whatever iteration it was, it was still susceptible to these various viruses that could get it. And this new and improved Mac was able to keep itself guarded from these same viruses. That here kind of captures what I believe Paul is trying to do in terms of communicate to the church. Remember, this is in Ephesus, he is writing a letter to believers. So often when we start to look at passages and he's talking about the old life and the futility of their thinking and things like that, we can kind of brush that aside because we're no longer categorized that way. But I I want us to pay attention to this um, particular passage because Paul is really trying to get underneath something that I think we're all susceptible to. And that's namely looking at society, looking at culture and taking our cues from there, feeling that we've been kind of because we've been saved. Often we look at salvation as just, you know, eternal life, um, heaven and hell. So essentially, once I've accepted Christ as as Lord and Savior, it's like I'm busting through the finish line of life and I'm good. No matter what I do now, I'm good. But Paul is trying to help them to to step away from that type of thinking and remember um, that you should live a life that's worthy of the the, the call of God that's been put on your life. He says that earlier in the same chapter in in, um, verse 1. 
I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is um, a responsibility that we have as believers for those who would look at Jesus as Lord and Savior. There's a responsibility that we have to live in a manner that's worthy of the blood that was um, shed on your behalf. And so we have to think about these different ways of living. And, and he, he wants to highlight how the Microsoft way of living is not the same as the MacBook. And I'm going to stop using that analogy and, um, because I, it, it crumbles in so many different ways. But there, there's, there's, there's kind of this, um, there's, there are two different ways of life. And if we're not careful, what we do is kind of like Microsoft, we just try to update the old system and we try to implement a new operating system with the same kind of um, infrastructure that it had originally and just try to improve upon it. And so there's a people I believe that Paul is trying to reach out to who have accepted Christ and they're trying to just improve, become version 2.0 of themselves. And so he's going to attack that thought by first saying, I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. He's bringing attention that this is something that is of great importance. So let me make sure you remember where this message is coming from. This isn't just kind of my own personal thoughts, but this is something that God himself is saying. And what is he saying? That you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Now, is that an action indeed? Is, is, is that about like, you know, um, kind of tradition, family of the, um, the family that I come from, one of our traditions is eating fried chicken and things like that. Is he, is he talking about that? Is he talking about hanging out in the barbershop and chopping it up about um, who's the best basketball player and, and things of that nature? I don't think he's going there because he, he talks about the mind in terms of the way that we think. Please catch that. There is a way that the natural man thinks that leads to destruction. And if you're not aware of that, what you'll do is you'll move from Windows 98 to Windows. I said I wasn't going to use that analogy no more, and then I just did it anyways. But you'll move in, in the direction of becoming the 2.0 version of yourself. You'll look for updates because you don't understand that there is something faulty within the system of thinking that you have. And so Paul attacks that by saying you need to re-identify. You got you to gotta re-identify. You can no longer live as the Gentiles do. Now, here is not just about being a Jew versus a non-Jew. This is about non-believers. And, and, and the thing is, is that just because you're not a believer doesn't mean that you don't do, you, you have the capacity to do some good things. There's, there's a grace on all of us to be able to, to do some good things in, in various situations. But that does not change the fact that the system, the operating system that you're using is broken. Futility means that it can't produce in the way that it should, the way that God had designed for it to operate. And that futility of their thinking causes a darkened understanding of who God is. 
Paul in Ephesians, I believe chapter 5, excuse me, Galatians chapter 5, he says um, that there's a war that goes on between the flesh and the spirit. There's a, um, there, there's a part of us, the natural man has, wants nothing to do with God. Meaning like even if I was going to go and give to the poor, it would be such a way that would be unpleasing to God because it wants to decouple from God. It doesn't want to be driven or governed by God himself. He wants to take on autonomy of self and do what he wants to do when he wants to do it and how he wants to do it. And once again, take out of your mind kind of the categories we naturally would go to of what evil is, kind of the violence and the drugs, because often a lot of us didn't do that before we knew Christ. There's a way of living that Paul in Philippians 3, he said that, you know, I counted everything as loss. And he lived in such a way that he said when people looked at him, considering the law, he was blameless. But he knew that his righteousness, as it says in Isaiah 64, 6, was like a filthy rag before God. So don't go with the kind of um, cultural ways of thinking about what good and bad is. Let's, let's, let's stay in a space. That's a part of the, 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 the um, a part of our operating system when we think of from a natural perspective or from the natural man or the first Adams, um, um, what he has downloaded to us or, or passed on to us is this system of trying to do life without God, making your own decisions, that autonomy that's there, so that now I can begin to define what is good and what is bad because it's a life that is decoupled from God and has taken on a darkened understanding. So like within our culture, there are things that are applauded and, and there are people who are applauded, even if they cut corners, even if they treat people like trash, if they're able to have success in business, they are applauded as geniuses. There are people that we want to emulate and be like. We have called bad good, even because we desire the security that money may bring or we desire the position that power brings to us. And so we push those things up. When we come from a natural man perspective or um, as a Gentile would think. Verse 18, he says, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. One version says like they're, they're calloused. The hardening of their hearts because of this kind of consistent pushing away truth. Romans 1, where Paul says that um, the, the wrath of God is being revealed against all, all ungodliness and unrighteousness. He would say that people without excuse because they suppress the truth of God because of what you can see. There's plenty of evidence that God exists and what he has done, but we consistently push those truths down. What he's written on our hearts and what we know is wrong, we push those truths down. And here in, in, in Ephesians, he's saying that your heart is getting hardened. And if we're looking as Christians, if we're looking at the community around us that is not connected to God, but has been decoupled from God, what we don't recognize, what they call good, um, is really something that, once again, from Isaiah, the thought there is really unrighteousness before God, or is a filthy rag before God. And so there, 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 there's a, in this old operating system, because of the hardening of their hearts, they are ignorant of who God is and their understanding of truth and what really should be driving them is separated. 
He goes on to say, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every, every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. This kind of decoupling from God, choosing not to be like him, like he says in Romans 1, um, the wrath of God's being revealed against all ungodliness. There's a, 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 a move away from being like God to um, that, 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 that lends itself to a lifestyle that is unrighteous. And because of this, because of this hardening of heart, because of this decoupled life from God, now desire becomes the driving force in this person's life. Whatever that desire is. Maybe you do something excellent like give a car away, but you do it because it makes me feel good. See, desire is driving this person. It's no longer the truth of what God says to do. He is not giving definition to what a good life is. It is now the person that is given over to their sensuality and what makes them feel right. Fighting for a cause. Um, you know, there, there, there are situations where we see people who are into the social justice where they fight for the cause because of the way it makes them feel. And so they can treat others who disagree in such a way that really causes conflict. But it, that's, you know, that sensuality, their desires are driving that and they're giving themselves to that because it's not being subjected to the truth that, God, that comes from God. Am I making sense to you guys? Because it's really important for us to understand kind of the system of people or what we've come out of for those of us who call Christ as Lord and Savior. This moving from the old man to the new man. Now, it's a process. The operating system kind of breaks down because it's not just a quick jump and now I think perfectly. But if we take our cues from the community at large of, of people that are presented to us as icons from the community and it's not based on standards that God has set, when, when Jesus doesn't, we don't see the supremacy of Christ being the driving force behind that person's life, we may want to take a step back and say, whoa, 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 I don't know. Paul says, don't live as they do. Don't walk as they do. I had a, um, an uncle um, I love, I love my uncle and I hope he doesn't see this. <laughs> um, I mean, I do want him to see it, but it's just, eh, never mind. Um, there was a way of life that he, he had in terms of the way he viewed women and, and how to go about pursuing women. And because I loved him so much, I wanted to live like him. And that became a filter of how I treated women myself. And it led to a lifestyle that I got so deep into that I did not think it was wrong. I had kind of hardened my heart. I severed my conscience in ways. And the way that I treated women now, there are times if a memory comes back, I'm like, God, thank you that you have forgiven me of my previous actions. But it led there. Even after getting saved, there was times where I'm around friends who had that similar kind of thinking. It's like, oh, I can't really, really say this or that. And. You know, I'll hang out with them at the club, but I won't drink. I won't do what they're doing, but, you know, I don't want to lose the friendship. I, you know, like I, I started to kind of compromise um, because I still wanted to the, their, their kind of affection. And I still in some ways kind of looked at the way they were thinking. I was really just trying to be obedient to God off of self-will and not being led by the spirit into terms of him changing the way that I thought. So I was still operating on the older system. 
But as God began to change some things and the new system started to show itself, I remember having kind of this confrontation and, and my heart goes out to, to, to my friend because I still love him, but we, we, we've never been the same. He wanted to go to um, a space where you know, I know we have kids in here, so I don't want to say everything, but we want to go to a certain kind of club that no Christian man should ever be in. And I told him as much that, hey, man, I don't do that no more. And he started to ridicule me. And it was this, this realization that the way you see life, man, I don't see it that way no more. Because God had really started to change, change me in a way that now I could sit under truth and no longer live as the Gentiles do because I didn't think the same anymore. But often when we, 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 we as Christians, we think about kind of behavioral patterns and, 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 and what is right and what is wrong, we look for the rules. And a part of that old operating system looks for the rules. And as I mentioned before about Paul in, in Philippians 3, he talks about his life as a Pharisee and, and how those rules put him in a position where he could have some self-righteousness and say, hey, look, I don't do this. I didn't do that. I memorized all of these passages, but he also says that he counted all his loss or in one version has dunk because he recognized that that old system creeping up when it comes to being obedient to scripture. Please hear me in this. So as you're looking at various things and truths that you find, there's a way that we can go about trying to live it out. That's really kind of that old system poking his head back in and saying, oh, no, no, you don't need God. You can do it yourself. Just be stronger. You know, put up extra boundaries. Have nothing to do with people who may think a little different than you. But he says in verse, verse 20, that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and when you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. How did you come to the faith? Was it because you, you know, you had a fine worship team up here? You think they're saved because they could sing so well and God just needed that talent in the kingdom? Is it because of your success in business? Or maybe you have a real hard story and that's why God chose you. Because you know what, you, you, you're experiencing hell here on earth. I'm going to let you have heaven when it's all over and with, done and with. No, it had nothing to do with that. I was not saved because somehow I'm talented enough. It was only because of the grace of God. It was only because of the grace of God. This is why we, we look at um, when, we, when we take the communion elements and, 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 and his body was broken for us. There was a, a new covenant that was ratified in his blood on our behalf. God didn't just sweep the sin away. He actually took on the punishment of sin because there is a wage for sin and it is death. When that truth came to you, for those of us who are believers, when the Holy Spirit himself convicted your heart. This is what Paul is talking about. How did you come to him? You were spirit led. Yes, maybe God used a person. Maybe it was Pastor Paul. Maybe it was some other um, vessel that he chose to use. But behind those words, the, the, the words of eternal life came from God himself. And awoken us in our, as we were dead in our trespasses. 
And we bowed the knee. And we followed direction of the Spirit and received the hope that comes from the sacrifice that Christ made at Calvary. This is the new operating system. As you're hearing and learning of God, as, 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 as you're in a space when you're reading Scripture and you're giving more information in, 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 in terms of what it means to, to live for God, these truths should become kind of the governor of your life. But not working them out solely in my own strength that can produce self-righteousness. It is partnering with grace. God's given us a, an ability to do what we couldn't do before. It's not holding on to, hey, man, this is the kind of family I'm from, and, and this, is, this is just how I am. You need to take me as I am. It's bending the knee. God, I'm having some issues with this because, because in my life, this is the way things have always been done. I, 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 I kind of paused because it reminded me of me, I'm, of my beautiful wife and I. We've been together for 12 years, and... I grew up in a household where we talked loud. You, I mean, you, maybe you think it's the mic, but really, I'm loud enough. I don't need the mic. I'm a loud dude, right? So, like, anytime I get passionate, I get loud. I mean, we could, like I said, we could talk basketball or something like that. We can talk about who's the greatest boxer, and I'm, ah, and then, and, you know, I'll, I'll just, my volume will get louder. And in my home, we just, how we talked or debated or argued, if you want to use that language, is one person would be at this level, the next person at that level, the next one at that level, until, you know, it's all out, almost yelling at each other. So, when, when my wife and I got together, what I didn't realize is that in her family, if her father got loud like that, somebody was about to be, the, the rod would no longer be spared in that moment. <laughs> it would be used in a vigorous fashion. It made her want to shut down. And so communication at times when, when something I would get passionate about we just completely shut down. Now I'm mad at her because why you don't want to talk no more? And then I'm so I'm getting louder and that's making her like, hey, man, I'm done. I don't want no more of this. I couldn't hold on and live as I did as a Gentile in that situation. I needed to come to a space where I began to love my wife as Christ loved the church. And there was some things that Christ was willing to give up to be effective in terms of helping the church get to where where it should be relinquishing power. I mean, can you imagine the author of life who designed oxygen needing to use lungs so he can <laughs> take in oxygen? I mean, someone that he created has to feed him milk. And I want to continue because this is how my family, this is how we are and you need to just deal with it. That's not how I learned Christ. That's, that's, that's not allowing the spirit to lead me in that situation. It's staying in a space where I'm in control. My flesh and my desires are in control. And because of that, it caused communication to break down. And so it's essential for us as a body of believers to, to keep unity is to understand that this old system only will lead to, in a space in terms of unity to division. 
At some point, it begins to break down. The excitement moves away from being a new church, and, and things begin to, to kind of break apart because, you know, I don't know if the, the, the way I feel after I hear certain songs, I, I just want to go somewhere else because of, of feelings, or I don't feel like dealing with that person right there instead of extending love to them in grace. Because the governor of your life isn't the spirit. And Paul here is saying, look, we're not tr trying to teach you how to strive after and live righteously. Righteously, What you need to do is remember how you receive Christ and allow that to be the governor for you. And as he continues on, he says, verse 23, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This change, this work that we need to do as individuals to help as a whole um, for the unity of our church here is to continually be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul in Philippians 3, once again, he says that he had not achieved the mark. And if you read his passages, the impact that he's had on the world, the brilliance that this man walked with, and he didn't make it, I highly doubt any of us have been made it further <laughs> than he has. So it needs to be a constant, constant renewing of the mind, getting in your word every single day. When you're in group and you understand that God is present in the midst of two or three, that you're, you're, you're there and that you're attentive to what he may be saying in the moment. That is, you're spending time with him in prayer and, and discussing the various things that have gone on, maybe what's going on at work. That you're, as a disciple, as a student of Christ, that you're in a position, you know, disciples in, during that time frame, um, they would kind of, it, it would be said, sitting at his feet. It was kind of the phrase that they would use. But there was kind of this acknowledgement that I need to, 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 to rest in front of him and listen to what he's teaching me. Do you understand what I'm saying? And as disciples, that's, that's a part of our um, 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 work that we need to do is that we need to kind of position ourselves in such a way that we're saying, God, I don't know exactly how to live out the way that you want me to. Remember the phrase, um, what would Jesus do? The WWJD. Some of you guys are old enough for that. Uh, yeah, yes, no. A couple of you guys. Okay. Don't make me explain it if you know what it is. <laughs> so what would Jesus do? The, 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 one of the things is, is that like when you come to a situation that you would look in the Bible and see something that Jesus um, had done, we don't take into consideration all that went into preparing him to be able to make the decision that he did. So, for example, do you think Jesus, when he was on the cross and he prayed for those who he said, God, forgive them for they know not what they do. Do you think that was just a nice thing to say? And that's why Jesus said that? Or was that something in him in such a way that he waxed strong in wisdom? He ate his word up so much so that he could stand before Pharisees in the temple as a 12-year-old and confound them with the questions that he would ask. That he was able to teach in such a way that people would say, man, look at the authority. Remember, Jesus laid down his powers. So he's living as an example for us. And it was his daily prayer life. It was his consecration. It was his willingness to not choose his own disciples. It says he prayed all night and then went 
to find disciples. He didn't just choose people that he, he thought was good. He was led by the Father. He only said what the Father said. He only did what he saw the Father doing. He submitted himself in that way. So that when he ran into that situation, the product of his life, the product of his choices that he had made in his life allowed him to respond in a genuine fashion, praying for people who were killing him on the cross or were talking bad about him as he hung on the cross. What would Jesus do? Often we just, well, Jesus probably would have did this. And so we try to make that decision kind of out of self-will to follow instructions. But we don't do the things that are necessary to, to produce in us that type of response. Another example I like to use, and as you can probably tell, I'm a basketball fan, is Kyrie Irving. And he's a point guard for the um, Brooklyn Nets. Great handle, able, ability to dribble the ball, and he's able to make moves when double teams come. That you're like, how in the world did he do that? And, and, and the reason why is because of how he worked on his game in the background. Our discipleship is that working on our game so that when we get to the, the moment of truth, what would Jesus do will be produced out of us. It was, it's like Jesus living his life through us. So that when you're in that work situation and, and, and servers seem to crash and you're head of IT and you've got to figure out what are you going to do, God gives you the proper response. And, and you've learned and you've cultivated such a, a, a walk with him that he can help you navigate through those types of situations. Or maybe there's something that happens at home or, or maybe there's something within the community, some type of tragedy or something. What is the proper response? Well, it's in those private times with God. It's in that constant pursuit of him that you're taking on this new operating system that will allow you to produce the kind of life that puts on display to the world the kingdom of God. And how it is good news to any and every situation. I think my brother earlier, he had quoted John Piper in saying that God is most glorified in us when, when we are most satisfied in him. The old operating system is off of sensuality and desire and that leading. And desire is never satisfied. You can never get enough money. You'll never get a new enough car. There's not enough clothes. There's not a, a big enough position. There's, there's nothing that you can accomplish that you're going to find satisfaction in because we've been designed to only be satisfied in God himself. And it's walking with him and growing with him. And this kind of background, this taking off the old, putting on the new, is this constantly moving, um, um, if you will, apps from the old um, operating system of your Apple phone to this new operating system of Android. <laughs> I just like the needle people who have Apple phones. Huh? There's a work that needs to be done. But all of this is kind of couched in this idea of unity. Within the church, you have a role. You have a role. There's not just kind of your, your varsity leaders and you're on the bench and you're on the sideline and you're just cheering them along. All of us play a role in what unity is going to look like. And are there going to be issues that, that the enemy is able to be able to wedge in and cause division? Now, this unity, I don't believe, means that we all agree and that we've all kind of become these bland people and, and nothing of our own personal culture is ever introduced into the, the kind of gumbo that's created by all of this diversity. There's different flavors, and God has made you uniquely you 
And he wants to express himself through you being the unique you that you are. But if you don't realize that you play a role, then what Paul said in in 4.1, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Well, that's for Kate or someone. That's not for me. That's not what God is saying to me. Oh, you you mean God's holding me responsible for that? Because we don't see our position in the game. So it's important that you begin to understand you do play a role in the unity of a body. And that there's some significance for you here. Well, if God has planted you here, it is significant. It has eternal value. You have something to offer. But you got to work on the things that God has made available to us to take off the old and put on the new. Because as long as we're bringing in that old way of thinking, it's futile. And it leads to, di- to, to division because of how his darkened understanding begins to kind of infiltrate others. And as people begin to agree, it causes division. None of us are perfect. All of us are striving. So I'm not saying things will be perfect. But if you play your role, if you're constantly being moved to the new operating system, if you're constantly taking off the old and putting on the new, then your contributions will be greatly met by the grace of God in those efforts as you're led by the Spirit. Does that make sense to you guys? So my encouragement to you is to remember that you are a body. Not that you've forgotten already, but that you are a body and that you play a role. And that you're changing, you're taking on this Christian life and not um, being um, um, living as the Gentiles do is important to all of our walk with God in terms of the effectiveness that we'll have as a church within this community. Amen? Amen. Some of you here may have been in a position where you realize that there's a deep desire or there's a a giving over to desire in your life that is ruling you. And as you hear me describe that the life without Christ, the, the life that's decoupled from God, it, you, you felt like I was identifying you with every head bowed and eyes closed. If that's you, and you would like to receive the invitation that Jesus gives to us, that you can hear in this moment that what he did for you at the cross, you were included in that. If you're getting a sense of that now, please raise your hand so we can pray with you. See that hand? Once I see the hand, you can put it down. Is there any others? Let's pray. Just repeat after me for those who raise your hand. Heavenly Father, I've been driven from a sensual place because I've been decoupled or separated from you. Please forgive me of all the sin I've committed. 
grateful that there is a work that you did at the cross that redeems me and brings me back to you. I received that sacrifice that Jesus made. And I thank you that you now call me a child of God. I give you all the honor and the praise. In the name of Jesus, amen. I don't know if we have any materials that we give to new believers, but if you just come up front um, for those who, who raised your hand. Um, family, I'm going to pray for you. Um, we're part of the church. Thank you for your attentiveness. I appreciate nobody going to sleep on me. I've worked really hard on this sermon, so I really appreciate that. <laughs> I got to stop being silly. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I thank you for victory. I thank you for the purpose that you've given to them um, to impact the Charlottesville area and, and, and beyond. Because of the great work that you're doing in them, one day we will all be able to stand before your great throne and heal. Here, well done, my good and faithful servant. We love you, Daddy, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, guys.